This is iFanboy Booksplode Pulp. This is the last cowboy song. Welcome to iFanboy Booksplode Pulp. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Well, hello there. And we're talking about Pulp, the original graphic novel from Image Comics, written by Ed Brubaker, drawn by Sean Phillips, with colors by his son... Jacob. Jacob Phillips. I was trying to open the book. This show, Booksplode Show, was unleashed, unlocked by the patrons over at patreon.com slash iFanboy. So thanks to the patrons. All of you who are listening now are doing so at their largesse. Ooh. This is the original graphic novel that came out in July, and we talked a while back about their last one. They did a criminal graphic novel. That was one of our early returning Booksplode shows, if you recall. I do. And this one was fun because I didn't know anything about it. I just knew... Oh, spoiler warning. This is a review show. There'll be spoilers. We're going to get into it now. All I saw was the cover image, which was the cowboy on a horse in the bottom and above the title... A, you know, grizzled but young cowboy with a hat looking forlornly. Mm-hmm. And that's all I knew. The cover, the name Pulp, Rebecca Phillips, and I ordered it tight unseen. And what was great about it was, you know, zero expectations. Obviously, there was a, somewhat of an expectation of it being a Western. But it wasn't a Western, kind of. And it was fun to be totally just surprised by everything I was reading and not going... It's kind of like when I don't watch a trailer for a movie and go and not knowing yeah. anything that's going to happen. And that was really fun. Well, did you know anything about this going into it? No. Uh, you know, if I'm going to be honest, you were like, let's do this book. And I thought, eh, I bet it's just going to be like the other books that we did. And so I went into it, not trepidatiously, but just sort of Tripping not expecting. Not that I thought it was going to be bad. I just thought it would be more of the thing that I, that I, you know, have come to expect from these guys. I'll start with that. But it was not... It was not. No, no. I, I, I was sort of pretty quickly. I went. Oh, this is a different thing than I than I thought. So here, you're you're the synopsis guy. So so you open the book and there's a there's a black page with one panel shot of this old man who's bloodied, and you get a narration saying, "I can tell you when it all started on the day I almost died for the third time." And there's a bunch more narration, mm-hmm. and you turn the page, and on one side, you know, the, the side you probably see first, you see you know the sort of standard Western. You know, sh- you know, draw it in the middle of Main Street. But then you look on the left side, and it says New York City, February 1939. And you're like, whoa, whoa, that's interesting. Yeah. And it ca- turns out you're reading the pulp story. In the, I don't know, it's the first, like, ten pages. It's not, it's not, it's not nothing. Not ten pages. It's the first, like, five pages. Um, a pulp story written by this writer, Max Winters, I believe is his name. And it turns out Max Winters is a pulp writer in the 1930s selling western tales to one of the many hundreds literally hundreds of magazines at the time in real life that were publishing western stories and he's taking from his own life as a young gunslinger in the 1800s as inspiration and what i love this is a recurring theme of mine is the 1930s is so interesting because it's the bridge time you can have people like max who were literally old west figures having shootouts in the middle of the corral and then also having them in 1930s new york with subways and cars and trucks 
it's such an interesting time to sort of bridge the modern and the old world. And it makes you realize how actually not long ago that time was. People listening probably know that the two of us read a lot of history. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the one of the main things that I, I find the most interesting uh, is that none of you know a lot of it seems like it was a long time ago but it isn't mm-hmm. it just it just bridges a, a you know a generation and if you think like our parents more or less you know they're like uh they're like uh kevin bacon right there's a not a big of a degree of separation from a time that is so different than the time that we live in and i don't even mean in terms of the information age but literally like industrialization and electricity and plumbing you know and it's one thing for us to be like, all right, well, my grandfather lived during the Depression, so which are which are automatically at this point means we're old, by the way, right? Which is really fascinating. But then you think, all right, well, what about a person who was my grandparents' age, you know, at that time when they were kids? And you go, oh my God, that's the it's the eighteen nineties. Well, think about when we used to watch Boardwalk Empire. Remember that episode where they had like the parade, the military parade, and it was all. Yeah. So that show took place what in the nineteen. 19- 20s. teens and early 20s yeah and there was guys well you know in the parade in their civil war outfits because mm-hmm. they were civil war veterans and you're like oh right we think of you know mutton chops and mustaches on horses in gettysburg this is happening like in some other planet but it really was not that long ago anyway we're digressing into history talk well no but but the, i mean that's the thing though that that is the thing that really grabbed me here is i think well g- good isn't it interesting all right, let's take aside the fact that this guy was a was a full-on outlaw. Like, right. you know, like he was, you know, the shootout at the OK Corral kind of thing. And and, and it's interesting because a lot of that stuff happened a lot later than I think people had did. Like yeah. so much of cowboy culture comes from the latest part of the 1800s um, as the sort of West is getting uh, Yeah, it's well after won, the Civil but, War. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just to think, well, what happens to that guy if he moves to the city you know, and and then becomes a, a writer using his exploits to do a thing. Wyatt Earp went uh, to Hollywood, like exactly. Like that's the crazy part of all these people's mm-hmm. lives. Like it's it's weird. So you take the point where like they're a cowboy, right? Mm-hmm. And if you 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 scoot forward, you know, forty years in time, they're wearing suits and ties and hats that we all recognize as and riding the subway. Yes, and that is. That is an amazing jump in time. So right away, I am interested in sort of the thoughts that you're going to put in that man's head just to start. So as soon as that happened, I thought, well, this is something I have not read in the comic form and not read by Ed Brubaker. And I was pretty sucked in by that. And yeah, so you have this writer who, you know, he's he's old. He's well, it's hard to tell back then, but he's probably in his 60s. <laughs> he's 46. Yeah. And it's not going well. He's writing these stories. His, his editor, Mort, is kind of an asshole. Whether or not he's based on Mort Weisinger is up for debate. And he's cut his page rate in half. Well, not page rate, his uh, word rate in half. Gave it to a stand-in for uh, Stan Lee, actually. <laughs> and then, you know, he gets mugged on the way home, the money he made from the story he wrote, trying to help somebody. And all the while, he's sort of reckoning with his past because, again, these stories he's writing and selling are based on himself and his his buddy uh, in in their old life. And the old life starts bubbling through and that's why I said in the beginning, it's not a Western, but it kind of still is a Western because he decides he has a heart attack after getting mugged. His doctor's like, you don't have a lot of time left. So what does he want to do to feel alive? Well, he's at a movie theater with his wife and he sees, you know, the guys taking the the take from the ticket counter to their car, you know, the guys who collect the money. And all, you know, that reminds him of his old days, Robin stagecoaches and Robin trains. So 
he decides he's going to put together a heist. And, God, there's this one panel I keep looking at, Josh. And I don't have page numbers here, but it's when he's casing the guys. And he's mm-hmm. sitting in an alleyway, mostly in shadow with his cigarette and his cowboy hat pulled low. Mm-hmm. And it's just this beautiful, stark page from Sean Phillips. We're going to talk about Sean Phillips a lot because this is some of his best work, I think, in a while. And, you know, he's about to rob these guys. He's got his gun. He's, he's walking up to the... I'm looking at it. The, the money guys. And some guy in a bowler hat stops him and says, no, you don't want to do that. Turns out it's his old Pinkerton rival. The Pinkertons were the private detectives, private cops who were hired by the train companies and other rich people in the the 1800s to fight outlaws. And they were as bad, if not worse, than the outlaws they were fighting. And this guy says, that was stupid. You would have got killed. But I've got a better plan to rob the Nazi Bund who are in New York. And I was like, this is going in all the good directions at this point. Well, I mean, that's the thing. So you start off, you've got that first thing I talked about. You got right. this sort of bridging of historical eras and, and sort of the unexpectations. Like, when somebody mugs this guy, he's a cowboy outlaw. Right. But he's then old, so he doesn't, can't bring, do anything about then it. Then you bring the Pinkertons into it. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> that's always interesting. Yeah. Second, then we're going to rob the, rob the Nazis and they have their, their big rally at Madison Square Garden. And I was like, well, this is the Josh trifecta, bling, bling, bling. <laughs> And I didn't know this was coming either. Yeah. And so this whole thing, you know, it culminates in not so much the robbery, kind of, as as the, the fallout from the robbery. It all happens very quickly once it all goes downhill, but it all goes downhill at the end, which is to be expected from a Brubaker Phillips mm-hmm. book, where no crime, crime goes unpunished. But I loved the psychological aspect of this guy who is constantly living in his past through his story writing Mm -hmm. but it's not quite his past you know it's a fictionalization and he's never allowed to write what he wants to write which is these guys aging and getting older and figuring out life you know he wants to do it like howard was writing about conan the barbarian but they won't let him do that and so he's constantly living in his head of as this younger hero character but then he has one last chance to do what he did as a young man and it just goes all horribly wrong and it was such an interesting character, this guy, Max. Li- you mm-hmm. know, living in this world that's totally foreign and somewhat happy. You know, they're not doing well financially, but he's got a wife who makes him happy and she seems really nice. And he just wants to get a little money so they can go live in the cottage somewhere and be left alone for however much longer he has left with his bum ticker. And so there's always the altruistic motive for the last robbery. That always makes it more interesting. And then this Nazi robbery has all kinds of facets to it you know it's not quite what the pinkerton guy says it is about mm-hmm. and then as a stand-up guy as a cowboy max has to go get his revenge which you mm-hmm. know as soon as he goes to do is just not going to go it's just not going to end up happy yeah and it's one of those things where it's not right off into the sunset kind of mm-hmm. kind of thing in fact i say that if there's a- anything that do we give a spoiler warning I yeah mean, we just Okay, this is one that uh, the only thing that I kind of was like, well, that's that's a bit far fetched. Is at the very end you find out that the the Pinkerton has left him a house and a bunch of money, and I was like, all right, that's a little sort of perfect, but whatever. Let this let the fantasy of this guy have his sort of his day in the sun. But right. you know, besides that, which was which a little like hey, it's all going to be okay. Here, have this. I liked how it was mostly, well, it wasn't mostly a failure, but it was a lot of failure involved. You know, the Pinkerton did a lot of good from the grave. That's what I know. This is very tight. This is like a 76 page yes. graphic novel, OGN. This is, this is like, what, three issues worth? Yeah, about four about issues, issues comics. And so this all happens very quickly. It's a very tight story. There's not a lot of fat. And 
I said it a minute ago, I think this is some of the best work Sean Phillips has done in a long time. Sean Phillips has that character face. He's got that main character face. Mm-hmm. And he can do all kinds of faces, but he has that main character face, which is probably because he uses his own face for modeling. Mm-hmm. All these guys look the same. But here you have an older version of him. So it still looks like the main character, but it, it's an old it's an old version of him. And so you get a lot of different takes on Phillips. And there's some great shadowy stuff here. You know, there's some, and also I'm going to give credit to Jacob Phillips too for the color. There's some great snowy scenes in the city. And then the flashbacks all have, you know, sort of sepia tone to them. But his red shirt's always really bright on the page. What I thought was interesting about those pages that you were talking about where he's in the shadows is that he goes from looking like 30s New York City elderly writer guy to, without really changing much, you can see the cowboy. Yeah. Like his the way that his changes, jacket fit. Yeah. yeah, you know, just the look of everything changes, but without it's very evocative, I think, of what he's trying to get to and very nicely done, I think. I mean, he has a purpose, he has a puzzle to solve, as he said. You know, that's what he said. He, he liked best about the heist wasn't the heist, it wasn't the power, it was the puzzle. It was how are we going to pull this off? How, what, what's the plan that's going to get us out of here with the money and our lives intact? Well, what's kind of interesting is that, you know, like, at first I thought, oh, this is a story about a writer who's being taken advantage of, <laughs> you know, and I've seen that story, you know, and I'm, I'm interested in it, especially, you know, if you're a writer and you've got a chip on your shoulder, there's something interesting in there or any kind of chip on your shoulder. And then the moment that he goes outside and, side and starts casing the robber, you're like, where the hell's this coming from? <laughs> and then, you know, there's parallels yep. there, you know, like, oh, a writer does the planning and they put together the pieces and they try to figure out, you know, the, the unseen consequences and all this stuff. When I was like, that's the same thing as what a robber does. And it's kind of this interesting, like... You also can live in your past glory of your writer. Ooh, yeah. You know? No, that's, like, not, that's also true. And try to recapture that past glory. Mm-hmm. I, but I'm just going to keep flipping around. And there's like the great page where you see the Pinkerton as a young man. Like they, you know, recreate sort of the old photographs. It's just a beautiful package. This is terrific. Then they come in and they reveal the anti-Semitism in the Pinkertons. And I was like, all right, it's probably true, but you're piling it on here. And I'm here for it. <laughs> Here's my money. I'm in line. I have my I have my premier membership card. I'm fine. I mean, the last we talked about was a criminal book, although you didn't need to know that. In fact, we didn't know that at the time. You didn't need to have read any other criminal, even though it had some subtle ties into other stories. But this is a totally on its own OGN. And if you're a fan of stuff that we like, if you like crime stories and Western stories and history stories, this ticks a lot of great boxes. It really does. It does. And it's it's very, I think that format that it's in solves a lot of the problems that we get with many, many comics that we talk about. So it was like, it's not going to be six issues, not 144 pages or 120, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a three issue, but not really issue. It's just one story, it's like a three act thing. There's a lot in there. It is a thing that you can sit through in, you know, in one or two sittings, mm-hmm. but you could just plow right through it if you want to. But it's it's not like there's there's let's say there's an 80 page comic out this week. There's going to be a point where you go, Jesus, how far along am I? And I never did that with this other than it seemed like, how are they going to wrap this up in the time that I have? <laughs> right. it, you know, it was the right kind of thing. We don't get enough stories that are sort of formatted in this way. It's not paced like a monthly comic. Yeah. It's not like they had three scripts and they just put them together. This is paced as a 76-page story, which is different. Graphic novella. There's not a 20, there's not every 20 pages you don't you don't have a break. Mm-hmm. I also really like that we're at a place and it's not for everybody, but we're in a place in the in the world of comics that 
Brubaker and Phillips can do this. Mm-hmm. They can not just tell a story of an aging cowboy with going on one last adventure in 1930s New York, but they can do it in a prestige hardcover. And people will buy it. You know, mm-hmm. they, they clearly have enough of a fan base that they, they keep, keep doing these things. Well, look at that list at the very end of the books that they've done together. <laughs> right. And I was like, wow, that is a lot of books. And, God, I'm, I'm trying to think in comics if there is another partnership like this. Currently? Yeah. Or, I mean, who's to say what would have happened if Steve Dillon had lived longer? So that that's maybe something, but even that's only a, a couple of series. No, three series. Yeah, I mean, you go back and you could, you know, obviously, like... Stan and Jack, but like I would say, like uh, McKelvey and Gillen, sort of, but they don't—they're not as prolific together. No, and they also don't—they don't sell like these guys. It's like you said, like it's amazing this can happen, and you got to like realize how much grunt work, and not even in a bad way, but that that these guys specifically Brubaker had to do to to get to be able to have this kind of freedom, and then like get to the point where obviously. Obviously, they're not losing money on these books at this point because Sean Phillips doesn't do anything else, so he must be getting paid. Yeah, I mean, if, if you, you know? think about the long tail of it all, like they get, you know, they sell the yeah. books and they've got this giant collection of back catalogs. So there's like 13 criminal collections between the ones that are branded criminal plus Bad Weekend, My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies, and Cruel Summer. And then there's one, two, three, four, five Killer Be Killed collections, and there's seven fatales and there's the fade out and the fade out deluxe i mean they there's a lot mm-hmm. there's a lot they've been working together for what 20 years i mean sleeper's not listed here but yes you're right, you're right. more than 20 years because sleeper was before the podcast the my family became that became yeah, life. yeah like 2000 ish i just like that they this can they, they can they can go to image and say hey eric we want to do this and eric goes yeah that, mm-hmm. that'll be worth the money because this is not cheap. No. Just from a printing standpoint, this is not cheap. Yeah. And it's great. It's really great. Because, you know, obviously, usually it's you mitigate your prestige hardcover sales by selling them in issues first. And this is not that case. And I like that they can do that. So what's interesting is that... Makes me happy. I'm not saying he's telling the same story over and over again. He isn't. But there are themes he definitely goes into. Right. But totally, these guys are in a lane. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder... Is this the thing that they really love? Or is this the thing that they can do and sell? It seems to be the thing they love. Right, exactly. And, I do, and then I think back of all the other stuff that he did, Brubaker specifically, yeah. for such a long time, and just think, were you just doing those? Because... Well, I think he's like everyone else. Or you get him out of your system. Of a certain age, mm-hmm. he had his fun doing superhero comics that he grew yeah. up reading. But then you go back to the original stuff he did, you know, A Complete Low Life. One of his earliest works was basically like this kind uh, of thing. What was the crime one with Michael Lark? Scene of the crime. Scene of the crime. Yeah, that's not in here either because that's not Phillips. But that's what he he was doing from the very. He loves crime stories. He loves PI yeah. books. He loves this kind of down and dirty world noir crime stuff. But he also, you know, he likes superheroes. He, he grew up. Yeah. He got out of the system, and, and now he does what he wants. It's not even accusation. I'm just curious, like yeah. what the mind of the creator is, because I always wonder when when people sort of stick in something that's so them for such a long time you know it's kind of a, i mean garth ennis does war stories mm-hmm. that's what he does you know and I, and I guess i have no doubt that he loves doing those so i should i should give brubaker the same credit yeah i mean he he wouldn't have to do these things he could very easily go back to 
DC right. Marvel make good money writing superhero comics if he wanted to. But I wonder if he went back. I bet he'd sell books for like a bit. You know what I mean? We were saying like a creator name doesn't sell books. But I bet if they were like, here, he's going to do Batman for a while, he'd, he'd clean up for a little while. Six months. But. Well, it's kind of a big deal that he did that story in a Catwoman book. Yeah. Like he hadn't yeah. done, done any of that stuff in like 10 years. Is he still working in TV? I'm sure. Yeah, he definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe he's subsidizing. I don't know. We're all speculating. But the point is, Brubaker fans need to read this. Western fans, crime fans. This is one of the nicest, tightest little stories I've read in a while. I, I got to say, yeah, out of all the sort of criminal bits and bobs that we've gotten here, I know I've enjoyed all of them to a certain extent, one way or another. I don't, you know, I don't love Kill or Be Killed, but obviously there's stuff right. to it. This is my favorite one that I've read in a while by a good shot. Other, I, I think maybe the the Fade Out. Fade Out or Fade Away? Fade Out. The Fade Out was terrific. That was the Hollywood one. Fade Out was probably my other one. But, I mean, you know, obviously both of those are placed in a specific time. But it's funny because you could see, like, wow, the characters in the Fade Out some of the older characters in that, they would have grown up in the late 1800s too. Right. And then those people made movies that you watch today. Crazy. It's crazy. I like that one of the underlying themes that he often returns to is the publishing industry. And that was part of one of the criminal arcs with the, with the old comic creator. Like he, mm-hmm. you know, he's a student of history in that world. And then this, I actually found an article online. It was like the real history behind pulp. Somebody mm-hmm. wrote, you know, went through the whole Western pulp scene at the time. And this is, this is what it was like. You know, a bunch of old guys churning out, you know, Western stories for pennies for for literally hundreds of magazines publishing them at the time. Boy, that was a shitty time to be a creative person. You got yeah. paid nothing. You didn't own anything. There's people like this now, but at least there's an awareness of you can own your stuff, you know? <laughs> On the other hand, he got like a hundred something dollars, which in 1939 is nothing. No, but so, if that's all you're doing. I mean, I, I read a, a couple of years ago, I read Elmore Leonard's complete Western tales that he wrote for all those magazines. And so mm-hmm. it was like 700 pages of Western short stories. Good Lord. It took me two years because, okay. you know, they're all short stories. So I'd put it down for a while and come back to it. And also, no dialogue. <laughs> so it was just kind of like paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs. So it took me a while. But every story would open up and it would say, like, which magazine it was in. And there was just a little over 100 of them, you know? It was a different time. Yeah, totally. So that's Pulp. From Image Comics, Pulp. Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, Jacob Phillips. Let's do ratings on Pulp. Ratings. Out of five, I'm going to give it a five. Four and a half. Sticking with it. I mean, if, if he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't remember. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how to know. There's not another one. But I'll read the next book that these people do. Because that's kind of like what the series is. And also, I, I do say that this one has got high flippability factor like i'm flipping through it and there's a, there's just uh-huh. tons of gorgeous panels in here yeah there's a high like oh look at that oh man look at that Phillips should do more stark shadowy stuff he's very good at that yeah anyway that's pulp we loved it if you yep. want to talk about pulp you go to fanboy.com there'll be a post for this show you can tell us what you thought of pulp or you can write to us yell at us at all the various places that we get yelled at and written to and uh, we'll be back with our final, well, first of all, we have our sister show, the Talksplode show. Yeah. Which the patrons also unlock. That's the, every other month. So every other month we do a Booksplode, and every other month we do a Talksplode. And in alternating months, although sometimes the same month, depending on how things go. This past month, or this month, Josh talked to Gene Luen Yang, one of our favorite writers and creators. A and guy patrons. with uh, such a list of credits that it kind of snuck up on me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I knew, I was like, oh, I've read all of this stuff. But when I sort of started to list it out, I was like, he's done a lot of stuff. And American Born Chinese will say what came out in um, 
2006. Mm-hmm. You know, and in that he's been, you know, he's done Boxers and Saints. Yeah, which is, you know, like a six, seven year ordeal for him. And then the new book, Dragon Hoops, which is was he was on for five years, he said, you know, in the middle of that, you got Superman, new Superman, the Green Turtle. They did a huge run of Avatar, the last airbender for Dark Horse. Superman smashes the clan. Yeah, just a ton of stuff. So check out that interview. That's at ifabboy.com as well. So this is our October episode. November, we'll see the final talk explode of the year. And then December, we'll be back with the final book explode of the year. Spoiler warning, it's our book of the year. <laughs> so you can go find out what that is in a couple of months. Until then, I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Thanks, everyone. This is the last cowboy song. The end of